So Sarah mentioned small groups. Speaking of small groups, I am not going to talk to you about small groups, but Christina is going to. And if you guys remember last Sunday, Aaron actually talked about small groups and he mentioned Christina. This is Aaron's other half. I'll let you decide whether or not better, uh, better half. But this is Christina. And so she's going to talk to you a little bit about small groups. Good morning, everyone. Um, So some of y'all may remember last year, we went through a sermon series called Hope in the Dark. And we talked about how God helps us through difficult situations. And during that time, I came up and kind of shared a little bit about my struggle with anxiety. And one of the things that uh, we kind of talked through was how God had helped me through that. And one of the things that he used to help me through that was a book called None Like Him by Jen Wilkin. And it's funny because the book isn't even about anxiety, but it is about the character and nature of God and us and how we relate to him and how that changes everything, including how we handle things like fear and anxiety. So I wanted to start a women's study on that book, and we're going to be starting next Tuesday. It's going to run for about 10 weeks. Um, If you are interested in that small group, I would love for you to sign up on velocitychurch.info. You can also come back to the tech booth and talk to me about it if you have any questions. Um, And, you know, whether it's that group or whether it's one of our other small groups that we have, we have a large variety of small groups that meet all throughout the week. I really want to encourage you to sign up for one. Like Aaron talked about last week, the small group that he and I go to on Thursday nights has just become such an integral part of our week and um, just an essential thing for us that um, that community has just become so important to us. We support one another and pray for one another and are there for each other. And uh, I just really want to encourage you to sign up for a small group and to get involved in that way because it really helps you grow in your faith and with the community here at Velocity. Awesome. Thank you, Christina. We can thank Christina for that. Uh, Small groups are some of the most transformative things that you can do because this is how you actually get engaged and meet with people, uh, things that, you know, right now our focus is on God. Uh, He he is our audience of one. He is the one we're worshiping, and small groups give give us an opportunity to uh, fulfill kind of the community that Jesus is the cornerstone, and that is his church and the way that he uh, calls us to live out our faith. So a great opportunity for that. Well, today we're wrapping up a sermon series in which we've looked at key areas that have become... um, Uh, focal points for pop culture deconstruction and how while it's always been beneficial to ask questions, it's always been beneficial to prune wrong thinking and align ourselves theologically with what scripture has to say. Part of that process has to include being aware of what is influencing our thinking and driving our decision to either doubt foundational ideas of what it means to be created in God's image or place faith that God wants the best for humanity, even if there are times that we get in the way, and, and we, do, we do get in the way. Uh, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, he writes this encouragement that's kind of been like the, uh, the, the foundation for this sermon series in the way of this reminder that what we're actually placing our faith in has a significant impact on how we experience God. And this is what he says in Jude, verse 17. He says, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. 
And Jude says all this because of the way we go about building our faith directs outcomes. For example, if our faith is placed in people, if our faith, place, if our faith is placed in circumstances or society, at some point those things are going to be undercut. I'll just go ahead and let you know, if you've placed your faith in me, and I get there's some like, level of trust that we should be able to have in, in other people, but at some point, I'm going to let you down. And so if your faith is predicated on what your preacher does or says, or pastor, or whether or not they're perfect, that kind of thing, I mean, at some point, those things are going to be undercut in your life. And the trust that we're meant to have in God, knowing what he's doing, that the key area that we find ourselves placing our trust in in order for that to not erode is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. And it's the question of whether or not the way of Jesus is too narrow in our lives. After all, we're talking about things that were written quite a long time ago, and there are plenty of good people in the world who don't follow Jesus, right? And yet Christianity makes a very exclusive claim based on Jesus' words and actions. It's not, just enough, it's not enough to just be a good person, but that our goodness is necessarily defined by a system of values and system of beliefs that are not arbitrarily decided. At least they shouldn't be. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. It doesn't get much more exclusive or narrow of a claim than this does. And these are the words from Jesus. And keep in mind that Jesus is referring to God as the Father who says very exclusively, have no other gods before me. Have no other system of belief, have no other worldview, have no other philosophy by which you live life before me. And it's the breaking of this commandment that keeps putting, if you look through the Old Testament, that keeps putting the nation of Israel in so many difficult situations. And let's Let's acknowledge and really understand that there are some things that we do and believe as Christ followers that are not necessarily easy. And so there's, uh, there's a reason for why people look at our faith and say, well, maybe, maybe that's not as expansive as it should be. There are things that we do that seem pretty strange. Early on in Christians, Christianity's history, uh, Christians developed some pretty strange reputations for the things that we do as part of our regular worship. For example, have you ever been to a church potluck? before? You're like, no, because we're not in the real South. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I know. I grew up here. I can say that. It's fine. But Eastern North Carolina, I'm just going to tell you, uh, meals after church in Eastern North Carolina, a whole lot different than in Richmond. All right. Um, potlucks are amazing. Uh, do you know what they used to be called in the early church? They used to be called love feasts. And the early church got this reputation for um, uh, love feasts not being about food. I think that's all I need to say uh, about that. And so there were certain things that the culture around them claimed about Christianity that wasn't actually true. It wasn't something that they were actually, actually doing, but they kind of got that reputation. Uh, we, we, we call them potlucks now. Um, sometimes you're lucky, sometimes you're not. Every week at Velocity, we take communion together. Well, the Romans thought the Christians were cannibals because they took communion. Well, you, you think about it. You don't have to think about it too long. You know, oh, we're going to you know, participate in the body and, you know, blood of Jesus. It's like, oh, oh okay, they're, they're talking about, they're eating people. I'm like, no, 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 that's, that's what, this is a metaphor. This is not what's actually happening. It's just bread and grape juice. Although, if we switch to steak and wine, I'm not sure if that would be, would that be all right? Um, like some of you would be, you'd be all right with that. Um, but it's a memorial of Jesus' death on the cross, not that we're actually eating flesh and blood. And just in general, um, Christians just do some weird stuff. I don't know if you've noticed that. 
I used to work at a Christian bookstore a long time ago as a teenager called Heaven and Earth. You guys remember that? It, it, it was in a place called Virginia Center Commons. That's a, that's a thing that used to exist. I know that some of you are like, I've never heard of this. It's because it doesn't exist anymore. Although they're doing something with that area, I think, pretty cool. Um, and I'll just say, when I worked there, there were kinds of things that we sold that were really interesting. But the thing that I never got, and please, please don't take this the wrong way. I never got the porcelain angel thing. Like we sold, if you have a porcelain angel, I'm not, like, there's no judgment here, no perfect people allowed, all that, all that, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I never understood why we sold so many porcelain angels. Like, what is it about, what are we saying about angels and how important they are to our faith? I, I don't know. I, I just thought that was kind of weird. Christians do weird stuff. We've got a whole subculture filled with insider language that even if someone read the Bible, they wouldn't necessarily know what some Christians are talking about. Sometimes I don't know what Christians are talking about. I, I don't have a clue. Uh, our next sermon series is going to be through the book of Revelation, and I'll just let you know, there's a lot of things Christians talk about that have nothing to do with the book of Revelation. Um, and so I'm like, I have no idea what they're talking about, where they got that from, or where that's coming from. But the one thing that I do know, even though there's all kinds of different things that can be misconstrued or misunderstood, or, or sometimes we just plain get it wrong in our faith, what I do know is that the Bible makes it very clear that none of this makes any sense without the way, the truth, and life of Jesus. That's what everything comes down to. Jesus makes some of the strongest statements in the exclusivity uh, of the gospel. I mean, we just read one from John. Uh, Luke, in Luke chapter uh, 13, someone asked Jesus, Lord, are there only a few people going to be saved? And Jesus says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. I mean, that may sound harsh um, until, like, imagine if you were to win the lottery in your, in your life. Can you imagine how many best friends all of a sudden you, you would have? Oh, you remember that one time I waved to you at the gas station? Like, so you should give me some money. You know, oh, remember that one time uh, we, uh, we had lunch at McDonald's? Like, I, you, you, should, you should give me something. Um, you know, Jesus says, um, after these verses, he says, but people are going to say, but we ate with you. Like, remember that one time we grabbed, we grabbed coffee with you? And, and there's so much of Christianity um, in America that's ingrained into our culture and, and that just kind of seems kind of normative in the way that we, we, live a, uh, we, we live our lives. And even though it's continually challenged, our morality and ethics are still generally informed by Judeo-Christian ethics and values and morality. And I think a lot of people just kind of assume, hey, if I'm just in general a good person, then I'm, I'm, I'm in good shape when it comes to my relationship with God. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm just trying to be good, try to be a good citizen and all those kinds of things. But yet, that's not what Jesus is calling us to. If we don't walk, talk, and live like Jesus, we simply aren't headed to where Jesus is going. Instead, we develop legalism and judgmentalism and hypocrisy, and those become the things that people get to know about us more than Jesus if we're not following him. It's why enough people have had enough negative experiences within the church that they question whether or not this, is this really what God intended. And anytime people attempt to bridge the gap between God and us, the seen and unseen, the temporal and the, etern and the eternal, there's bound to be some hiccups along the way. We're just not going to always get it right. But on the merits of what God communicates to us in Scripture that he desires, the way of Jesus is the only way that deals holistically with the condition of humanity. 
that makes up for our inability to actually be consistently good. Christianity's uniqueness is found in the way that everyone else uh, lives out and experiences religiosity. Uh, For example, just in general, religion is humanity's attempt to reach or become God. But Christianity is God reaching out to humanity. The difference may seem subtle, but it may be the most important nuance in our perspective about why we would meet God on his terms rather than any term that we might think of. Living the Christian life, for example, is not to glorify, glorify ourselves for our own benefit or for God's benefit. It's to glorify him. It's nice that there is the side benefit that it leads us to our best life, but it's, it's not about us. There's this great interaction in chapter 17 of the book of Acts that kind of highlights this, and this is Paul, and he's uh, with some Christians in Athens, but while he's there, he sees some other people, and Paul's the kind of guy who's like, hey, you know what, I'll go, I'll go and talk to these people about things that they don't believe. And so he goes in, in chapter 17 and verse 16, he was greatly distressed to see that the city of Athens was full of idols. And so he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. And a group of Epicurean Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what's this guy trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating for foreign gods. Like, this is, this is weird and new. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Eventually, Paul is invited to come to the Areopagus, and this is where you discuss new ideas. Uh, because they had to be determined whether or not they were valid enough to be able to share, be shared in the city. Because new ideas often uh, cause disruption and problems. And so Paul was invited to come, and he was uh, given a voice so that he could be evaluated and possibly eviscerated for this new teaching that he was bringing uh, in, in, uh, in referencing Jesus and the good news of the resurrection. And so down in uh, verse 22, Paul stands up in the meeting of the Areopagus and says, People of Athens... I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. Maybe this sounds not, not similar to our culture, but I would say it sounds very similar uh, in, in my opinion. You look around, there's all kinds of different religious emphasis that people have in their lives. In their homes, you can see we build altars to certain things that we emphasize and we like in our lives. I mean, I, I will just tell you, in my living room, the TV has a prominent position. I, I measured, like, the eye level and all those kinds of things. I made sure the size TV that I got, you know, matched for, you know, the perfect viewing angle from when you're watching a movie. I enjoy those kinds of things. And then I have kind of kind of sit there and... Like, maybe I've, maybe I've put too much thought <laughs> and effort into this. I mean, we look at our schedules, we look at our bank accounts, we look at how we spend our time and our resources and our talents and abilities. I mean, that, that gives us a pretty clear indication of what things are really valuable and important in our lives. And so Paul is recognizing this. He says, hey, um, I, I see that your religion, everybody practices some form of religion. Everybody exercises faith in their life. And Paul says, but, but there's, there's one way that is the best way. And, and really, it's the, it's the only way. So he goes on to describe God as creator. And he says, hey, you're ignorant of the very thing you worship. Such a telling description of the way that our culture approaches religion and what is given religious fervor. So further, further down in the, in the text in Acts chapter 17, in verse 27, Paul says, and he goes on to explain, God, God created the nations and he 
he, he established how things would work in the world so that people would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not very far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets or philosophers that he's referencing have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. I mean, Paul is in this situation where it, it is um, it's an antagonistic place for him to be. I mean, people don't believe what, what he's preaching and what he's teaching. And yet he builds all of this to the point of, of saying the thing that is the cornerstone, the, the thing that makes all of this work is the proof that God gives us through the resurrection of Jesus. Like that is the, the, that is the only thing that makes all of this come together because ultimately the difference between God and Jesus and everything else is that you've got to do it. In order for it to work, you've got to make it happen. And I don't know if any of you have figured out a way to never mess up anything that you do in your life, but if you have, please teach me. Um, take me under your wing and let me know what that looks like and feels like. But he says, Paul, Paul, Paul says, but there, there's only one thing that actually deals with everything that we need in this world. And, and Jesus does that. And he does that through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. He accomplishes what no other person can accomplish. And the decision that we're confronted with when it comes to God or religion and Christianity is this. Would God accept me on my own terms and my own ability to be able to reach him and become like him? Or would he accept me on his? You know, the concern I have with God accepting me on my terms is that the trust is in myself and rather than the one who made me. And I, I know I, I can't fulfill those things in my life. Our ideas of goodness and rightness and the best way to live are built on a foundation of something or someone, whether we do that thoughtfully and intentionally or don't. And if those things are thwarted by life experience, then chances are they weren't built on the one who created goodness in the first place. A Blaise Pascal wrote this. He said, people almost invariably arrive at their beliefs, not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. In other words, he's kind of saying that we're just kind of carried around uh, along by our own feelings and emotions and life experience rather than kind of thoughtfully saying what, what does, what really does make the most sense with, with the way that God has created the world, with the way that uh, life is experienced, what, what has the best answer for what we experience in this life? While the attractiveness of Jesus being the only way may be subjective, when scrutinized, there's no doubt in my mind that Jesus provides the only path forward that includes everyone. Um, there's a, a really popular, famous podcaster. Somebody shared a video with me uh, very recently where they were just talking about, you know, it's, it's just a shame that um, there isn't this one source of information that has an explanation for the human condition. So when it talks about, you know, we're talking about the physical and emotional world and how that works and um, and if, if only there was, you know, like a mechanic has an instruction manual, you know, for how, um, for, for how things work. And he kept, kept kind of describing that and talking about it. And he said, uh, he did give one uh, caveat. He said, not universally agreed upon. And, and, I, and I get that. Um, I don't know that mechanics universally agree about uh, how things should be done or, or, or how things should be handled. Um, 
But it was just a very interesting thing because I know some of you are thinking, well, well, we, we do. Not that the Bible is an instruction manual. That's not the best way to describe what it is. Um, but, but like there, there is, we do have a resource that does handle these things, that, that has, has not only good answers, but, but the best, like under scrutiny, has the best answers for the human condition, the physical world, the spiritual world, our emotional, mental experiences, and how we are called to interact with, with one another, how, how things work in life. And we do have a worldview that is necessarily narrow in scope that comes from the Bible. But, but if it wasn't, then it would just be nebulous and meaningless and not apply consistently across, across the board. Christianity is so exclusive and so narrow that nobody can measure up to God's standards except for Jesus. But that's also the joy brought about by the gospel of Christianity, is that God provides the way so that everyone can be included, and that is through Jesus. No one's perfect, and we don't have to be because God took care of it so fully through Jesus that everyone is included. And so, yeah, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father through me, but that, that should, that's good news for us because we can't do those things on our own even if we, we wanted to or tried. It's the exclusivity of Jesus that enables the all-inclusive reality of the gospel. None have earned it. None have deserved it. Nobody can achieve religious goals perfectly. People fail their own standards for themselves all the time much less the standards of their religion. But God says, I'll come to you, and all are welcome at the table through Jesus. The best vacation I ever had uh, was uh, honeymoon with my wife, Renee, and we went to an all-inclusive resort. I don't know if you've ever been to an all-inclusive resort, or a cru- I mean, this is a long time ago, um, or a cruise or something like that, where you just don't have to, you don't have to think about anything. You don't have to worry. I mean, you want to go eat something, you just go eat something. You want something to drink, you just go grab a drink. You want to go, you know, play putt, I don't know, we played putt-putt like 28 times, I don't know, in a, in a week. It was, it was amazing. You know, you go to the beach, you just your schedule, whatever. I mean, all-inclusive. Um, you know, they only let paying customers in to the resort. I mean, that's just so narrow-minded. I can't believe, can't believe they just don't, you know, open that up to everybody. What's up, what's up with that? Um, yeah, all, all systems of belief and faith ha- have exclusive, ex- exclusive claims. And, and I would say Christianity has the most narrow focal point that you possibly can, because if it's not built on the resurrection of Jesus, then none of this matters. And yet Paul says to these people, he says, here's the proof is God raised him from the dead. And people went and talked to people who saw Jesus post-resurrection. And people's lives were transformed, and they continue be, to be transformed throughout the course of history and human history, and has impacted the globe and continues to happen. And so we continue to point and say, look at the transformational change of the resurrection in our lives. And, and so the problem, you know, when, when people see us and we're not living out the way of Jesus, it's, it's not because we have become narrow-minded in the way that we're living in our faith. It's because we haven't become narrow, narrowed down in our focus enough. It's because we've allowed too many other things to impact how we live. Is that it, we've not focused down just to distilling our lives to representing the fruit of the Spirit, for example, or the way that Jesus lived or walked or talked. It's because we've allowed other influences to determine how we interact with other people, and it just doesn't work when we live the way that we would through our natural desires. We need Jesus. 
Earlier, I, I read about the exclusive nature of Jesus' words in Luke chapter 13. That's where he says, hey, it's a narrow door, um, and you've got to come in through this one way. Listen to what he says at the, at the end of this passage. He said in verse 29 and 30, he says, People will come from the east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and the first who will be last. And what he's talking about there is, hey, you know, our natural desire tends to be, especially in our day and age, is to put ourselves first. It's like, I, I, need, to, I need to take care of me, and I need to make sure I'm doing what I want to do, and I need to make sure that I have the life that, that, that I want to have. Um, but the problem is, is that every time we put ourselves first, we're, we're putting God last, and we're putting other people last. And it just doesn't lead to the life that we were created for. And so, yeah, the, the door is narrow, and Jesus is the only way. But, man, it's the only way for everybody to be accepted and included. The narrowness of Christianity is that we can't meet God on our own. The joy of Christianity is that God is already trying to meet us through Jesus. And imagine if this wasn't if one like this, the clipboard to get into heaven, the checklist. It's like, well, uh, well, I don't know. Are you uh, uh, male or female? You know, because we got to, you know, decide or, you know, we, we got to say, um, you know, are you, are you Cowboys or Commanders fan? You know, so we can only let one of those in. Is that, is that touchy? Is that, like, do we know which one? I mean, one's the America's team, right? I get that. I, I get that. But which one's God's? You know, like, who's his favorite NFL team? And if you don't guess that right, I guess you don't, you don't make it in. Like, all the things. Are you Republican or Democrat? Like, did you get that right? Which one is Jesus? Because you've got to pick that one. Did I suck the air out of the room? I'm sorry. I apologize. You know, like, like where, where are we going to go with that? Instead, God says, um, I, just, just one thing. Yes or no question, Jesus. Yeah, yes or no, that's it. That's that is that is the thing, um, and and that's what he calls us to, and that that is what he invites us into to live the most full life that we have been created for, and to experience it for all of eternity together. In Revelation, um, God describes uh, uh, heaven, and John records this: every tribe, every tongue, every nation is included and represented there uh, because everyone is welcomed to Jesus. Let's pray. God, it's, uh, it's nice to be um, on the inside. Um, it, it's comforting, um, it's familiar, and sometimes um, it's easy to not want that to be disrupted by by others who, who don't know what it's like to be on the inside. God, help us to uh, have a different mentality, a different way of thinking about the good news of the gospel and how it's, it's meant to welcome in those who are not in yet. And God, that that message is, is for everyone. That the narrow exclusivity of, of Jesus being the only way, the truth, and life is, is the only thing um, that expands itself to everyone. And God, help us to live that out Help us to live out the joy of, of the gospel and how we interact with other people and how we welcome them in uh, to our lives and share, share the love that God desires for everyone to experience. God, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.